Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, we're continuing on our study verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in the last little portion of chapter 10 today, beginning in verse 26 and going through the end of the chapter. And so let me, uh, let me kind of give a, a frame of reference here that I hope will help us understand where we're going and where the text is going to take us today. You know, the film might change, but the plot remains the same. The characters in the television show may vary, but the story never does. There's a kid in school who longs to be popular. All he ever wants is to sit with the cool kids in the cafeteria at lunch. He wants to be liked. And then... There's his best friend. And his best friend is not so cool. He doesn't dress the same. He doesn't really know how to act in social situations. He just doesn't have what it takes to transition from outsider to insider, so to speak, in this, in this grand high school social experiment, right? And herein lies the problem. What is the one kid to do as he begins to be accepted by the cool kids. They don't particularly care for his uncool friend, and they're not planning to accept this other friend into the group. So what's our hero to do? Does he maintain his friendship at the risk of also being excluded? Or does he sacrifice his friendship in order to be accepted by his newfound social group? Decisions, decisions. And at 15, 16, 17 years old, that is a bona fide dilemma in, in many, in many uh, people's lives. The funny thing about all that is, the same scenario exists everywhere within the Christian experience. You want to follow Christ. You really do. You're determined to read the Bible and do what it says because deep in your heart you know this is what is best for you and most glorifying to God. However, you're still drawn to some things of the world. Things belonging to your previous existence apart from Christ. That feeling of acceptance by all your friends and family where there are no awkward conversations or worse yet, no periods of awkward silence. So what is our hero to do? Do you go all in for your relationship with Christ and just let the chips fall where they may? Or do you sacrifice your relationship with Christ in order to maintain your connection with the world? Decisions, decisions. 
what does the Bible say? That's probably the most important consideration in all of this. Whether you're talking about the kid in high school trying to make his way in the, the social spider web that is the public school, or if you're talking about the Christian who really wants to do what God wants him to do, but it's not easy. Because there's opposition, there's temptation everywhere you turn. To, oh, just don't worry about all that. Just, just stay over here with us. Just do what, what makes you happy. You don't need all, there's plenty of time for all that Jesus stuff. You can do that later. We don't have plenty of time. That's a lie from the devil. What does the Bible say? I'm glad you asked because we're going to read Matthew chapter 10 beginning in verse 26 down to verse 42. And we're going to talk about what the text shows us about mission loyalty. Here's what the Bible says. And this is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you will speak clearly to our hearts this morning. Help us understand what we've read. Help us to understand the truth you've set before us. 
And Lord, please help us to be obedient. Even in the face of opposition or temptation, please help us to follow You. By Your grace, for Your glory, and for our ultimate good. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This text, I, I'm going to tell you, that I, I don't know that there could be much more of a clear text about mission loyalty. What does it mean to be fully devoted to Christ and what He calls His children to do? This, this text speaks volumes about not only what we're to do and why we're to do it, but the difficulty in doing it. It's, it's comprehensive. So the first thing that the text tells us very clearly, do not fear those who persecute you. Do not fear those who persecute you. And you would think, well, that's easy to say and not so easy to do, right? Well, look at what the text says to us. Nothing is concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing is hidden that won't be made known. The actions and the attitudes of your oppressors for Jesus' sake are all going to come out in God's judgment. There's nothing, nothing that anybody can do to you when you're standing up for Jesus and you're trying to look, I'm trying to live my life for Jesus and it's hard that people are, are talking about me or, or treating me poorly or maybe even in the, a real sense in the workplace or in the schoolhouse. You're being um, withheld from certain advancements because of your stand for Jesus. Maybe you're not included in this social group because you're more uh, intent on following Jesus than you are on being popular. Or maybe in the work context, you, you might miss out on a promotion or an advancement or a, a raise or something like that because somebody's treating you differently because you're stand for Jesus. Those things happen. That's real life. But Jesus says, don't fear those who persecute you. Everything they do is going to come out. And sometimes it's not in the timing we like or in the way we like. Sometimes we want instant, not gratification, but maybe instant revenge. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Maybe somebody treats you bad. You're standing for Jesus. They're not. And maybe they treat you poorly. And you want to you just go off into your closet and close the door and pray and say, God, just, just uh, I know this isn't right, but just get them. Just get them. Just mess them up. Whatever, whatever you can do to derail their lives because look how they've treated me. And, and, and in that moment, that might be how we feel, right? In our flesh, that's how we feel. But you know what Jesus might whisper back to us in that moment? You think I don't know about being mistreated? You think I was treated fairly? You think all the truth that I taught to all those people and, and they dragged me off, arrested me for no reason, and beat me and took me to my death? You think I don't know how you feel? Jesus knows everything. He knows how you feel. He knows what it's like to suffer unjustly. More than anybody on this planet, Jesus knows. And He is 
sympathetic. He's empathetic. He understands your plight. He understands what it's like to be treated that way. And he says, don't fear. So when Jesus says, don't fear, it's not like me or your friend or your brother or your parents saying, oh, it's going to be okay. Because, you know, we have to say that. That's the right thing to try to be encouraging. right? But, but we may not fully identify with your struggle. Jesus does. Jesus does. Every time. All the time. In every way. Jesus understands. And He's the one who says, don't fear. Leon Morris wrote that publicity is an advantage to the good, but it makes things harder for the evil whose ways have to be concealed in order for them to be successful. So Jesus says, speak it in the light. Proclaim it on the housetops. Be bold with the gospel. Don't hide. Tell people about Jesus. Be confident because of who you're representing. Whose ambassador are we? The Lord Jesus Christ, the the Lord of all creation, the, the Master of the universe. He knows. Be bold and confident with the gospel because your oppressors have no spiritual or eternal power over you. They can only harm you on earth. And Jesus makes that very clear. He says, don't fear those who can only do this or that to you. They can only kill the body. They're unable to kill the soul. He says, who you ought to be concerned with is God. Right? There's a a, a great principle. Matter of fact, I I read this book back in seminary years ago uh, by Ed Welch. It's It's a wonderful book if you ever want to read it. It's a little paperback. It's called, When People Are Big and God is Small. And here's the the basic thesis of the book was we worry and care so much more about what people think of us instead of what does God think? Isn't it more important what God thinks? Right? And not not just in the here and now, but in eternity. If if this person doesn't like me, or they say this or that about me, maybe they lie about me or, or whatever it is, okay, well fine. You know, so what? So what? Is God smiling? Or is, or is God looking at me shaking His head? Because that's really of way more importance than what this or that person thinks of me. And so Jesus says, these, He reminds His disciples, they have no eternal power of you. They can only harm you on earth. Almighty God has the power and authority to affect your eternity. Therefore, we should fear God rather than man. We should be more concerned. Here's what that means be more concerned about what God thinks than what man thinks. Am I making a stand for Christ? And am I honoring the name of Christ or you know, at the expense of my own reputation? I mean, I've said this before. There is great, great liberty in not caring what somebody else thinks about you. I mean, it's just, it's just freeing. You know, it's like... Well, they're going to think so. I don't care. I don't care what they think. I care what Jesus thinks. That's that's the most important thing. If we're going to be afraid, don't let it be the minor danger that is all that evil people or even Satan himself might bring against us, but the major danger involved in God's holy wrath that's coming against evil. That's what we're worried about. 
Where do we want to be found when that day comes? Do we want to be found in the compromise? Well, I'm a, I didn't want people to be mean to me or anything, or I wanted to have a good reputation, so I had to compromise a few of my convictions. I had to come over here and just kind of, well, I just want to blend in with the group, you know. Or do we want to be over here, maybe on an island all by ourselves? But we're not all by ourselves, are we? Because Jesus is standing right there beside you. Because He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And He will never leave you and never forsake you. And everything you do in His name, in obedience to His Word, will always be remembered. It will always be by Him. It will be remembered by Him. So to put it bluntly, if there was no hell to avoid then there would be one less reason to be faithful to Jesus and one more reason to deny Him. But there is eternity to consider. With our actions, with our attitudes, with our conduct, our convictions, whatever it may be, eternity is in view. So what are we going to do? How are we going to act? How are we going to live? Since God cares for us. Now, how does Jesus explain about God's care before we get out of this first point about not fearing you see verse 29, two sparrows sold for a cent. The Greek word there is Assyrian. It's, a, it's the smallest copper coin that existed in this culture. It's of like one-sixteenth of a, of a cent. I mean, it's like virtually no value at all. And so Jesus says, you know, two sparrows are sold for one of these little tiny coins. And he says, but not a single one of them will fall to the ground apart from the knowledge and will of God the Father. If that's the case, if God is so aware of something so insignificant, and then look what he says. Now I want you all to take a look. Look at my haircut. You see my hair? All my... And, it's, and I don't... I, he's not in here. I don't dye it. It's this is natural color, uh, but it's short. But you, you know, even my hair where you can see it, it would be hard to count every single one of them, right? That'd be difficult. And in some of these ladies with longer hair, it'd be real difficult to count every individual one. Look what look what the Bible says. You see it, verse thirty. God knows every one. The hairs on your head are numbered. I can't, we can't even fathom what that would be like. You know what that means? Jesus cares about you. He cares about you more than you can ever possibly imagine. If He, if he is aware of this most insignificant of matters... And yet, He knows how many hairs are on your head. Is that not enough motivation or um, encouragement? Verse 31, So, don't fear. You are so... Look what He says in verse 31. You are so much more valuable than, than many sparrows. You're so much more valuable in God's eyes. He created you in His image. He knows everything about you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you in His 
definition of what's best. So don't fear. Don't fear. If God is the one who is caring for you and loving you in your relationship with God through Christ, then don't fear. Leon Morris wrote again, if God cares for the humblest members of His creation, and since He has knowledge of the most unimportant piece of information about His people, those people need not fear anything. Do not fear those who persecute you. Number two, be fully devoted to your Savior King. Be fully devoted to your Savior King. There's a word in verse 32, therefore. So, based on what we've just seen, and there was a word therefore in verse 26, so based on last week. But you see how it keeps building. Therefore, since we're not fearful, because you're highly valued, you have no need to fear, because God has all power and authority, that means He's worthy of our full devotion. Right? Right? He has all power and authority. He has told us not to fear. He's mindful of us. So what does that look like? If we don't fear and we're fully devoted to our Savior King, here's what that looks like. You confess Christ before men, He'll confess you before the Father in heaven. You deny Christ before men, He will deny you before the Father in heaven. Now, does that mean, literally speaking, confess Christ and deny Christ? I mean, it could. It could. There's been situations where that's been the case, right? Should I mention again one of many situations? A young teenage girl named Rachel in Columbine High School on April 20, 1999. And that classmate, one of whom had gone through the school just on a killing spree and held a gun in her face and said, do you believe in God? Her story is a book called She Said Yes. And she said yes, and he said why, and he killed her. It might be to that extent. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. It might be to that extreme. But what does that mean on a practical level? How do we confess Christ before men or deny Christ before men? What do we say? How do we live? How do we act? How do we treat people? What is our general conduct pattern? Does it look like Jesus or does it not? I mean, it's really that simple, right? Do we confess Christ? Do we live like Jesus? Do we talk like Jesus? Do we act like Jesus? Do we treat people like Jesus? Or do, in general, or do we not? Because that, all those things are ways that we ultimately confirm or deny our relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus says very plainly, if you live like me, if you, if you identify with me in your lifestyle and your conduct and your speech and the way you do everything you do, then when, when the judgment day comes, 
What's Jesus going to do? He's your advocate. He's, he's going to stand before the Father and plead your case and say, No, no, see, this one's mine. See, I, I died for them, and their sins are forgiven, and they're, they're in unity with me, so they're coming in. Right? That, that's the, the picture. And the opposite is also true. Now, how does that work itself out? Because, see, here's the interesting thing about that. It's one thing to become convinced that Jesus is an outstanding teacher, and maybe even that He is the Messiah. But it's quite another thing to profess yourself to be His follower in the face of hostile opposition from people in influential places. And so Jesus is pointing out that there are permanent consequences of rejecting Him. So if you reject Jesus, you don't just suffer some little small temporary inconvenience. There are eternal consequences of rejecting Jesus. It's not just, well, I guess I won't be a part of that group. No, that's not it at all. We're, we're talking about life and death. Everlasting life or death. Right here. Am I with Jesus or am I not? Have I said yes to Jesus or have I not? And by the way, if you put that off, the whole time you're putting that off, you're saying no. So there, there is no, well, let me think about it. No. Yes or no? You with me or not? The person of Christ and the power of the gospel message is going to cause division. So, so look what Jesus says after this. Verse 34. Don't think I came to bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What does that mean, Jesus? Well, it looks like this. Verse 35. I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies, the Bible says, will be those of his own household. Now, what does that look like in practical terms? Well, anybody got any family members that are not Christian? Just think about that. You ever have conversation with your family members that are not Christian? Are those pleasant usually? Is it just a delight to sit down and have a deep conversation about spiritual things when you're a, a Christ follower and maybe your friend or family member is not? Those, those type of conversations tend to be contentious. Maybe even downright ugly you know why because when you don't know Jesus and somebody talks to you about Jesus your first instinct is to get mad get defensive you know why that is because deep down in places you don't talk about there's this thing called conviction and the, the, the inside of a person who is apart from Christ rebels against the name and the gospel of Christ. There's, there's enmity. There, there's conflict. There's conflict between Jesus and the world. And, and if, you're not, if you're not with Jesus, 
then just just the mention of his name could cause conflict. And so, so Jesus is trying to tell His disciples, and by extension, trying to tell us, do not be surprised when even those closest to you, if they don't love Me, then they're not going to love you, ultimately. Because there's conflict. In your own household, there will be division. Your closest relationships will be tested by the Gospel. And we can't let that surprise us. It's not going to be pleasant. But it shouldn't catch us off guard. I guess that's what Jesus is saying. It shouldn't be a shock when if you follow Jesus, you're going to find out who's with Jesus and who's not by the way they respond to you being for Jesus. Does that make sense? It's, that's just how it's going to happen. So... Jesus is emphasizing to His disciples and to us that from a human point of view, following the right, the right uh, path, the right way, could be a lonely business. Divisions and oppositions might well arise where they are least expected, for it is impossible, it is impossible to predict how people will respond to the Gospel. And even those closest to you, and so Jesus says, it's only when we're willing to sacrifice these things, our, our closest relationships, our, our own lives, it's only then that we'll really start to live, like really live for Jesus. Because here's how this looks. What is the practical implication or the consequence of well, I love Jesus, but I really love my mama or my daddy or my brother or my sister. So, I mean, I really do love Jesus, but I mean, surely Jesus wouldn't want me to not be in good relationship with this or that family member, right? I mean, surely He wouldn't want that. So maybe I get a pass on this one, right? What's the what's the carry it to the logical conclusion? What what's the end? You stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and Jesus wants an explanation. Well, what was more important to you, me in the gospel or harmony in the household? Which one of those gets us to heaven? Does, if I get along, can't we just all get along? If I just get along with everybody, isn't that, isn't that good enough? No. It's, it's not good enough. Because it doesn't matter how much I love. I love my Father. I really do. I, I've, I've had a... I mean, he's 82 years old. And still doing great. And uh, we've, we've hunted together and fished together and been to ball games together. I mean, I have, I have a, a treasure trove of great memories with my dad. And, and thankfully, he follows Jesus. But if he didn't, 
it ultimately wouldn't matter how much I love Him because He didn't die for my sins. Does that, you understand what that means? There is only one person who died for me. There is only one person who is in a, in a league all his own who, who satisfied my sin debt before Almighty God. There's only one person who did that. And it's nobody on this planet. And so as hard as that may be, it doesn't matter ultimately how close the relationship is. I mean, look, look what Jesus says. Even our closest relationships have to be subordinate to our relationship with Jesus. If you love father or mother more than Jesus, you're not worthy. If you love son or daughter more than Jesus, you're not worthy. If you don't take up your cross and follow Jesus, you're not worthy. Why is, that, why is this such a big deal? Because it's a big deal. That's why. Because we're talking about a Savior who came from heaven, who went to a cross, who died in my place to forgive my sins and reconcile me to God. There is, there is no other relationship on earth that compares to that. doesn't matter how close it is, how valuable it is. There's only one Jesus. We have to be fully devoted to our Savior King. Alright, last one. I've got to skip ahead. Number three. Don't lose your reward. Don't lose your reward. We represent Christ. Christ represents the Father who sent Him. He says very clearly in the last three verses, 40, 41, and 42, So whoever receives you as an ambassador, then, and I'm talking about receiving you and your message, the Gospel, then receives Christ. Whoever receives Christ receives the Father in heaven. So then he says, whoever receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. So here's what that looks like. What's the job of a prophet? To speak the Word of God. So if you accept the man and his message, because of the nature of the message, then you'll receive the reward of a prophet, which is being with Christ, being with God, reconciled to God. If you receive a righteous man, you recognize the importance of righteousness and then you are then compelled to act accordingly, then you will receive a righteous man's reward. So you're receiving, by virtue of a prophet and a righteous man, these two examples, you're receiving the message of the gospel and the standard of righteousness that God brings. Those are the two things he's pointing out here. Those are of utmost importance. And then he says this interesting thing in verse 42. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water, I'm going to break this down, the cup of cold water in the name of a disciple to one of these little ones. I'm going to break those three things down. If you give even a cup of cold water, if you meet even the smallest of needs, 
in the name of a disciple, in recognition that someone is a follower of Jesus, to one of these little ones, not in age, to one of the most humble, in a worldly sense, insignificant followers of Jesus. If I meet even the most simple need of a follower of Jesus by recognizing they're a follower of Jesus, I will not lose my rule. Because here's what that says. If I'm willing to be compassionate and seek to meet the needs of my fellow followers of Christ, regardless if they're important, not important in the world's eyes, if they're significant, insignificant, whatever, I recognize you're a follower of Jesus. How can I serve you? doesn't matter what it is. The most humble need, even a cup of cold water. That speaks of a lifestyle, of a mindset, of a standard. This is how you live. This is how you follow Jesus. This is what He would do. This is how He would serve. You will not lose your reward. Even the smallest gift given with the right motive does not go unnoticed. So, so what does all this tell us? The three things that the text has shown us. Don't fear those who persecute you. Be fully devoted to your Savior King. Don't lose your reward. How do we conclude all this? David Turner wrote that inevitably some will try to find a way of compromise in which they may have both family and Jesus. Their own lives and Jesus' mission. There's no such middle ground in His teaching. There, there's no way to have it both ways. Either you're all for Jesus, regardless of what that means, or you're not. So, here's the, I guess, the um, aha moment. I, I studied this, I read it, and I prepared to, to preach today and Here's what kept coming to my mind. There's a lot of routine Christianity in the world. Here's what I mean by that. Just routine Christianity. I'm just in a routine. I show up at church most of the time. I, uh, I put some money in the offering plate. And I might do a few other things here and there, but that's pretty much it. You know, that that just that checks the box for me, and so I'm just a routine Christian. I just I'm in my routine, and and I'm good. You know, check the box, clear my conscience. I'm I'm cool. Are you though? I don't want to be a routine Christian. Jesus doesn't understand that terminology. What's a routine Christian? I want to live an uncommon life. I want to live a life that's not the same as everybody else. Because Jesus lived an uncommon life. It was not the same as everybody else. 
And from what I read in Scripture, Jesus is our ultimate example of how we should live. And, and there's no compromise in that. So, to bring some, some clarity here as we conclude, let, let me revisit that question from the very beginning. What are we to do with this proposition before us? Do we go all in for our relationship with Christ and let the chips fall where they may? Do we grasp fully what is truly at stake for all of eternity? Or do we sacrifice our relationship with Christ in order to try to maintain our connection with the world? Do we ignore this mountain of biblical evidence that shows us the disastrous consequences of such a foolish choice? Decisions, decisions. Well, I remember two little verses of Scripture that are not in Matthew that kind of showed me what I need to do. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? And 2 Corinthians 5.21 he made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what Jesus did. So, decisions, decisions. What, what do I do? I follow Jesus. Period. I just follow Jesus. Whatever, wherever the chips fall, whatever relationships come or go, whatever the consequence, I follow Jesus. Period. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlin.com.